Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kelly, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. He was formerly the Year 12 Coordinator at St. Michael's College in Adelaide when I was in Year 12, uh, and is, uh, went on to be the Deputy Head at Sacred Heart College, moved back to be Principal at St. Michael's College in Adelaide from 2005 to 2013, and has gone back again to Sacred Heart College where he has been Principal since 2013. So a wealth of experience, and I'm very excited to have an old mentor of mine on the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks for giving up your time. First question off the ranks. Just about, uh, I guess, the experiences you had uh, led you to wanting to become a school leader. It's interesting, uh, Luke and Matt. You kind of don't choose your journey. It happens around you. Um, I mean, there are many, many capable teachers and they're good at what they do with a whole range of skills and talents. But essentially, you're identified, if you like, by the leadership at the time as having either a talent or a capability that they provide an opportunity for you to explore. And before you know it, someone makes your boss. Well, in the end, you may apply for a position, but you don't decide whether you get it or not. Someone else does. And usually it's a communal representative, two or three people, sometimes more. I can remember a panel of eight, which was a bit daunting at one point. Sacred Heart had a panel of eight. I, I think if you weren't on the panel, there was something wrong. With you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and I think the experiences build on each other. So most uh, middle leaders would begin in either a curriculum leadership role or a pastoral or wellbeing role, or they may take an administrative role such as sport or music or whatever. Um, and if you're good at it, it gets noticed. And if you enjoy it and you're good at it, why wouldn't you pursue it? If we talk about self-fulfillment and living life to the full, it's utilising what it is you've got as a, as a person and that's fulfilling in itself. And built around those skills is the capacity required to build relationships. You've got to be able to build good relationships, not just at a staff level but with students and, more importantly, their families. That, if you like, gets noticed, I think, more than anything. So... I'm always really, really proud of the fact that if I get over to the western suburbs of Adelaide, I will bump into St Michael's people and they will say hello. And, and same around Sacred Heart, which is more beachside uh, to the west of the city. And if you're doing a good job or you've done a good job, you're, you're fondly remembered and it, it's an honour that people would want to say hello. And usually your former students will tease you about something because you've had a good relationship or a bit of banter about something. For example, one of my parents at the moment is Scotty Camparelli. You might remember Scotty, played for Carlton and all that. We still have a laugh about how skinny he was at school, you know. Um, and it, his boys want to know what he was like as a student. And I just always say um, we don't reveal secrets either about him as a student <laughs> or me as a teacher. So we always say we're excellent. So in that, in that combination of experiences, gifts and talents and relationship building, You've got a foundation for senior executive leadership pathway. And so they're just really interested in that. You talk about, you know, people um, in amongst you, people recognise the skills, people recognise the capabilities and often happens around you. But we also talk about needing, a, I guess, a healthy level of ambition. A hard moment for you where 
you, you know, perhaps you were in middle leadership where you went, actually, well, I've got something to offer here. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point, Matt. Um, it, the, the opportunity too, or what happens around you, is acknowledging that you might be in a role you don't really enjoy. Uh, at different times, you may have thought, well, I think I'll apply for that and I'll, I'll do it. And at one point, I was a religious education coordinator at St Michael's. And I did initially enjoy it, but in the end, it kind of wore me down and I thought, I'm not really enjoying this anymore. So rather than just suffer my way through the contract, I went and sat down with the principal at the time, Brother John, and I said, mate, I'm not enjoying this. I really need to be doing something else. And he said, well, I've been waiting for this conversation and I think you should move into pastoral. And I go, well, thanks for sharing that, Brother John. Um, He said, but it's so it's it's. That relationship with your principal or your deputy principal, which is also critical, um, I've been able to forge those on the way through with uh, two outstanding leaders that come to mind. Dr Paul Hine, his principal at St Ignatius Riverview, he was my deputy for 10 years and I think I learned things on a daily basis from him. But also a relationship where he could sit me down and you know, give me some tips, some coaching points, some growth points about what I needed to work on in a really professional, mutually respectful manner. That that was, I mean, he probably will never appreciate fully just how important that was. Um, some of us, Luke, get overconfident from time to time. Some of us think we can deal with all the critical incidents that get thrown our way and when, in fact, we really should be testing out our thinking with experienced key people like the Paul Hines of the world or the Brother Johns or the other principals and deputies that you respect deeply but who also have a vast background of knowledge and experiences to share. Um, I can think of an example where I had a student who was in disputing something with the SACE board or your education board, the equivalent in WA, and uh, I walk into Paul's office and go, this is not right. He said, okay, sit down, let's call the SACE board. And we've got the ruling at that moment directly from the board rather than me fussing around or him spending time and energy. It's just like that is such a simple thing to do, but I couldn't see it. And I was getting into this argument and debate about whether it's thing could be accepted or a zero or whatever it was. Go, no, 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 let's go straight to the safe board, get the answer. Go, oh, okay, something I've never forgotten. Now, that would have been 25 years ago. So simple stuff. And so, Steve, you know, the relationships that you had with leaders has certainly shaped, um, you know, your journey. Um, And I'm a bit interested, you know, we have lots of people that aspire to be leaders uh, in our schools and particularly young people. I wonder what advice you'd give them um, based on your journey. Um, Perhaps they come into your office and you need to discern for them and guide them. Yeah, I've got a certain framework that I ask people to to work on, uh, and that is to sit down and, if you like, work through a reflective process about who they are and where they want to be, uh, starting with an understanding of themselves as an adult. And uh, if they're in a relationship, they should probably ask their partner to fill in that section of the document. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And if I'm going to aspire to leadership, what do I really need to work on and who am I going to learn that from? That can be formal and informal, formal in the sense that um, you need a solid Um, base of knowledge by way of study to move into leadership. You need an expertise. 
And that level of expertise is through your masters or your doctorates or your whatever. But it needs to have a pragmatic focus as to what you're going to do with that. I would suggest that you also um, need to map out, if you like, um, your work-life balance. I've, I've watched lots of young people uh, over the over the journey almost, you know, work themselves into the ground by taking on um, issues and matters above their pay grade or beyond their pay grade. Uh, that's why there's levels of leadership and there's times to know when to pass it up and down the food chain. And um, when I, I've, I've done, I don't know how many reviews of POS in my day, and I think the common theme uh, in terms of feedback and growth points is know when to deal with a matter and know when to pass it on. Uh, because at the end of the day, if it's consuming you, that's unhealthy. And you can't be taking that home every night or for a period of a week or whatever. Um, I think it's also the role of senior leadership to support middle leaders uh, through these processes. And again, we're coming back to relationships here. Do I build good relationships within my particular community, particularly with its senior leaders and what I'll call the tribal elders? Um, all of our schools have fine old scholars or finance committees or boards and councils. There are individuals on those groups who are considered our tribal elders, deeply respected across the community. And forging a relationship with them is also a great opportunity to learn. I guess, um, you know, it's interesting what you're saying there, middle leaders trying to stand out by taking on more responsibility than perhaps their pay grade allows them for. Have you got any thoughts or kind of advice then on, obviously you don't want people doing things that are outside the scope of what they should be doing in terms of kind of trying to stand out amongst their peers for the work that they do? Yeah, good point. Luke, um, I think it's about having clarity around your role. It, it's one thing to have a per position information document. It's another to not be going into your line manager all the time, getting things checked off. Um, but I would, the, the advice I would give there is work on the no surprises theory. No line manager wants a surprise. Um, Just like our parents. So yeah, exactly, exactly right. Especially little surprises. Um, <laughs> so it's really important that if you get into it, you have to ask yourself: Do my does my line manager need to know about this? Um, and one way that I would answer that is: If I was in that position, would I want to know? And chances are, it might just be a quick email. Hey, Luke, I'm just letting you know I'm dealing with this stuff at the moment. I can give you more details if you like. And if the phone rings back straight away, uh, then you know you've, you're on the money. Or if it just says, okay, keep me posted, it's still really good communication so that if it does escalate, you're able to go, look, I've had a go at this and I, I really don't know where to go. Can you? What do you think we should do? And hopefully the line manager is able to assist. Um and even in the principal's role, you need people to run those things by. Um, so I think that's really important. I don't know, does that help answer that question? Yeah, I just, just want to extend on that a little bit further. Just then you've mentioned even in the principal role, that council that you then go to, or is it still other mentors that you've had from the past? Yeah, I've got a good group of peers. Um, because I've been doing this for 20 years, um, I've got a few of my deputies that are now principals. 
And surprise, surprise, uh, we have a good regard for each other and we've journeyed, you know, we've, um, we've had our battle scars together. So we're able to have frank conversations that are absolutely private just to run things by. And my phone will ring or their phone will ring and I'll know what it's about. Um, it's not going to waste my time and you know, ask me how I'm feeling. It'll be I'm dealing with this at the moment. What do you reckon? I'm thinking of doing this, and and you get a you, you get a range of views as well because yes, you could get the board chair or you could get um, a regional director or you could get the school's solicitor on the phone, uh, and then you've got to weigh up in, in big decisions which way you're going to go because it can make or break a career. Yeah, when you're talking about your deputies that are now leaders, do you see that as being you know a part of your role as being a principal to kind of empower, you know, the staff around you to get their next role or does it leave you with a bit of disappointment when they leave? Yeah, no, I, th I think you have a, a direct responsibility with succession planning and, and not just at the senior level. Through the middle level, when you identify talented young teachers um, who then step into small roles at the lower level of leadership, and you can see that they have potential and you want to develop that potential and encourage that potential. And um, quite often it will be about uh, have you thought about applying for this or have you thought about applying for that? Um, have you thought about doing this particular course or program or whatever? Um, <clears throat> so it's about being proactive. <clears throat> I also think the leadership team needs to have this on their agenda. What are we doing with our middle leaders? Um, at this phase of the amalgamation at Sacred Heart, three schools into one, um, I sat in on 21 middle leader positions of responsibilities review. And um, as the HR person prepared all the documents, as I went back through them, the conversation was, okay, what are my areas of development into the next 12, 18 months, two years? And it's interesting talking to 20 middle leaders, many of whom are very talented. They hadn't really thought it out precisely. They had general comments. And then when you ask them, what are you aspiring to do? Um, they had an end goal, but not the process to get to the end goal. So let's say somebody says, I, I want to be a deputy or I want to be a principal. Okay. How long do you think that will take? What roles do you think you'll need to take um, in the progression to that appointment, what broader experiences do you think you need? Um, I don't know how Perth operates in this sense, but in Adelaide, it's really difficult to get teachers to leave good schools. Uh, they stay. Some of them are barnacles, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and not all of them keep reinventing themselves that you would want them to stay. Uh, but if you want to move into leadership, you do have to take on other opportunities in other places. Um, at a bare minimum, if you're not going to change schools, then you need to take on roles within systems or um, professional associations or board of studies, whatever it happens to be. It's, it's got to be uh, at the executive level of leadership in education, be it Catholic, be it independent, be it the board of studies. Then you have another level of kudos on your curriculum vitae when you apply for jobs. So uh, when I was applying for principalship, I was able to refer to the roles I'd played at the SACE board. 
um, our education board or with Catholic Education South Australia. And so there was a formidable um, ex list of experiences that uh, are important and I think you build those up over time. Quite often, if you're going to move into a head of a learning area, uh, I'm looking for involvement in the professional association um, because I want you to have a network that my school can draw on. If we're not the leaders of the pack, we want to know what the leaders of the pack are doing. Uh, it's, it, and it's a time commitment. It's a commitment by that individual outside of school to go to those meetings, have the professional learning and so on. I think it also shows a passion yeah, yeah, definitely. Well. I mean, you just don't turn up and train once a week and play in the A grade. And so, Steve, I mean, I'm interested in that concept. It's almost like some leaders just expect things to land in their laps you know, without having to think through a process. And I wonder how much of that is naivety or, you know, is it just, you know, self-aggrandised kind of concept that things will just happen, um, you know, if, you, if you're in the right spot rather than actually having to map these things out and, and plan your journey? Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's been too much thought across systems um, about this progression. When the baby boomers all fall off their perch, who are in senior leadership at the moment, and that's going to be a significant number of us, by the way. I'm just not on the cusp of baby booming, so I've got at least 25 years to go. <laughs> but there's a generation of principals about to retire, and I am not sure what the depth is like behind it. So for aspiring, capable middle leaders wanting to be senior leaders, over the next five years, the turnover is massive. So the opportunities are there for those who plan for it and develop themselves for it uh, if they are strategic. And just while I've mentioned the concept of being strategic, um, I would put that in the top top few of things you need in your kit bag to be a good leader. You really do need to be strategic. Are you talking there, Steve, about running and operating a school or the team that you're managing? I, I think being strategic is a, is a gift and it, it cuts across the whole uh, community and the roles as well. So if you come into a school community, it's quite strategic to work out what its aspirations are, what's important to it, and you'll get that by using the, the age-old method of of meeting and greeting and talking with people and asking them a couple of really simple questions. And I've done this now in two schools. Um, first question is, what should be retained at all costs in this school? And then that gives you the celebrate points of celebration, those, those key things we all love. And, you know, it's sacred heart, it's family spirit. That, that just underlies everything. And then you sort of ask them the second question, what needs to change tomorrow? And you'll get some pretty brutal responses to that. And sometimes it's got a person's name on it. Um, and the third thing is, how can the college assist you in what it is you plan to be doing here? And quite often that's around PL or opportunity, but it opens the discussion with your whole staff. Now, I've done this from boarding staff, ground staff, maintenance staff, teaching staff, etc. But it's amazing the recurring themes about what is our strength, what needs to change. And you build a mandate in your leadership. So strategically, you go to your council and your board and you go, hey, I've done all these discussions. This is my data. What do you guys think? And then the council puts a stamp on it. So when I came into Sacred Heart, I was given a mandate by the governors 
to open up more holistic pathways for non-academic students. Right? The retention over the last decade or two has meant we've got kids in our school, as in all schools, who just aren't into academics, but their parents now expect them to finish through to year 12, so we need to define pathways, and not just vet pathways. great subject that's growing here is entrepreneurial studies, which we outsource but teach on site. Things like that have, you know, they've captured kids' imaginations and they'll probably go on to be millionaires, the little buggers. Um, <laughs> Speaking my language, Steve, I've been trying to get Matt on board with uh, entrepreneurial studies for the last few years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I listened to their presentations the other day, Luke, and, um, you know, I listened to about half a dozen of them and we've got two classes of this, so there's about 35 kids doing it. Their ideas and concepts are, and the, 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 the framework they operate from within the subject terrific terrific and i guess sure some of them are going to lose a lot of money but i reckon a lot of them are going to make a lot of money <clears throat> i just want to steve just want to kind of bring this um this concept back around opportunity um just sort of before you sort of referencing the amalgamation uh, of the schools that you've overseen uh there at sacred heart and you started to describe the opportunities that came with working uh, with middle leaders and getting them to think about where they're going I wonder what other opportunities and challenges you were faced with when you, uh, you know, took on that that massive, um, I guess, change process. Again, I'll go back to being strategic and as to being clear as to what your purpose is. Why are we amalgamating? Big question. Why? And how does the community feel about such a big thing? And I did something similar, Luke, at St Michael's when I turned the Hanley campus co-ed. Huge decisions, um, but needed the data. So the, the various surveying tools actually use market research companies to do it for me. In, in this Sacred Heart project, I even um, surveyed the local primary schools to see how they felt about it. Because if you like, they're the future enrolment. Well, with, with no disrespect to the current enrolment, it's not going to change their life as much as it's going to change those coming into the future. Um, but it also engaged them in the process. And again, asking those similar strategic questions about what do we need to retain? What don't we want to lose? What do we want to lose? Um, those, those sort of things were really, really important. And um, we ran parent forums. It was a bit like um, town hall meetings. It was quite hilarious at different times because it was two governors working together, Catholic Ed and the Mara schools. And um, one was very popular and one wasn't. Um, <laughs> So uh, the Maras were very popular, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, and they didn't want to hear they didn't want to hear uh, highfalutin rubbish, right? They didn't want to hear the latest theory on whatever. Um, I did get a mum stand up and say, "So long as you're working on the principles of Professor John Hattie, I'll be happy." I go, "Can you tell me what that means?" <laughs> and she said. And she broke it down really, really well. That is, you know, teachers teach well. They engage with students who learn to learn. I go, okay, I've got to find out who this mother is. Turns out she's a PhD student at Flinders <laughs> Um so, But again, being strategic, we're able to assure her we signed up for Visible Learning, three-year program. And, you know, we so it, it's those sorts of things. And then you've got to do things that build confidence in the community. So even in COVID, as you would know, it's it's – Probably not as bad over there, nor quite that bad here, really. But there's still uncertainty about uh, future employment and investment that families will make in education. And 
so when we had the opportunity, we had a PL session with John Hattie for one hour. It cost, you know, three arms and two legs, but <laughs> it, it was an hour with John breaking open feedback. And so you put that in your newsletter or social media and people go, well, you know, Hart's doing a good job about learning, um, particularly for a footy school, you know. <laughs> Matt, he can explain the background of that. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. I'm reading between the lines. <laughs> yeah. A bit of a rivalry with Sacred Heart and uh, my old school. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, Matthew Pavlich has got a lot to answer for. Yeah. It's So, Steve, you've been talking there about um, probably more of the opportunities and the process of change with those amalgamations. But you've also started to surface, uh, I guess, a changing landscape in education. Um, you talked about entrepreneurial studies. You've now been talking about sort of Hattie and feedback. So if you were to, to fast forward five years, what do you think are going to be the greatest changes um, that you'll, you'll witness um, in, in the landscape? If I go back five years, first, when I came to Sacred Heart, we moved into Google Apps for Education. Massive shift. Everyone had a laptop, by the way, but no one knew how to really use them. Um, they were glorified typewriters in some respects and always good to check out the latest online news or sports results. So picking up and committing to a learning program over five years has, has brought us up to speed. I think it's about we're working at the moment on we're at the end point of a three-year project on visible learning and positive education and that whole pos psych stuff. I think that's a platform for us to work out where to go next in the context of the Mission Australia report around the, the needs of adolescents and their challenges, which we know number one by a mile is mental health. So I think as schools better adapt and implement programs to ensure good, positive mental health, we will be able to uh, expand the learning opportunities for students where I think it's more about I'm liking this move into capabilities. I'm liking this move into learner profiles rather than ATARs. Um, we go for jobs, we take our portfolio, don't we? I don't turn up and tell them what year 12 result I got. And I, I don't go for jobs where my GPA is important, right? I, I turn up as to who I am and this is what's in my kit bag and this is what I'm bringing. And I think that type of profiling of students will be the next big thing. Um, and teaching students, senior students in particular, how to build that profile, present it, but use it as a pathway to whatever their vocational ambition is. And again, I've spoken about having broad pathways um, and valuing them. I, I, I really believe we've come a, a bit of the way about valuing all pathways, but I think some more of that's important. And... Luke, from your background, you would know that, uh, as I do from mine, that our mates who went on to be tradies, they're the millionaires. Um, you know, who pays 350 bucks an hour for a plumber? Well, we all do. <laughs> um, so it, it's valuing what it is for who they are and, and what they enjoy, but having, again, and I had this entrepreneurial element, um, I think ed education and employment is going to be driven by things like that less reliant on massive multinational corporations to employ people and more about how we build community within community through goods and services. On top of that, we want a community that's comprised of good people. 
So that holistic notion of developing fine young adults, multiple skill sets of value, is, is going to secure, if you like, pretty good outcome in the next five to ten years. Do you think that uh, in five to ten years the subject range will uh, evolve much at kind of year 11, 12 level? I think there's always going to be that strand of your, your classical subject pathways, mainly because I don't think I don't think a lot changes in the building blocks of engineering or chemistry. Uh, I think the technologies around it do, but the fundamental principles don't. Uh, I think there's also, if you like, unique pathways there, which is still what percentage of kids take pure maths. Mind you, if they do, they're on a great pathway. I say that as a maths teacher. Um, But at the same time, the student who's picked up entrepreneurialism they're on a great pathway as well. So it's it's valuing them. I, I think the two coexist. But when they get to uni, um, how it's used, and you look at how different unis are running engineering these days, uh, that's fantastic that so much of it is high tech because that, we all know, will be uh, very, very important into the future. Steve, I just want to keep talking there a little bit about um, you know, we've talked about traditional pathways, ATAR versus VET. We're talking about the raise, the right, raising of sort of capabilities. We're talking about entrepreneurship and, and tech and the like. Um, and I guess in schools, we're all looking at that um, and trying to work out almost a system-based approach um, to, to upscaling those types of things. But what does, a, a, say, a system like CAFED um, have? What responsibility do they have to empower schools to do that or provide them with a system versus schools actually just generating it themselves? Yeah, good point. Good point. I think the systems have a responsibility to build the relationships <clears throat> with the um, the key stakeholders. That being, <clears throat> for example, all the Catholic principals in Adelaide the other day, we had a session with the um, chief executive of the SACEBOR, the Board of Studies, walking us through where things are at with COVID and adaptations to whatever, but also about where they're going in terms of uh, assessment, learning capabilities, learner profiles. So we're kept abreast of what's happening there, but we also have the opportunity here, given our size, to regularly interact with the universities. Uh, Some are better at it than others. Um, And strangely enough, it's the younger universities that are more accessible than than your sandstones. So... I think that's really important. I think we also have opportunities through the Business Leaders Program in Adelaide. They have different seminars and things where they invite principals in and say, this is what we're looking for, and we have a crack at them about, you know, we're not just producing robots for factories or, you know, people are going to sit there and make their money. Um, And at the same time, there's, there's also a lot of social capital about building a better community, getting kids involved in different projects. And that's critical for a fairer society. So um, service programs and things like that that many places have or volunteerism uh, I think is, is also critical. It's providing students with opportunities to open up what might become their vocational pathway at that point in time, knowing that most of them are probably not going to commit for longer than five or ten years. Um, but on a particular pathway towards utilising their their gifts and talents. Steve, I just want to go back. You mentioned earlier um, that you had eight members of the uh, 
the council on your interview. Um, I guess you know, they're obviously not all still there now, and you are. So how have you kind of managed that ongoing shift, uh, you know, in in the, in the council, and while you're still kind of managing the day to day? Yeah. Um, the key is your relationship with the chair, and there's I've, one of the most useful. Um, professional learning I've undertaken was the company directors course through the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Um, I go to their annual conference just to keep abreast of what's happening in big business across the country. And um, But doing that course with people, I think I was the only educator in the course, it, it's a different perspective on the business side of school and managing your relationship with your chair is critical. Um, <clears throat> the chair really controls the board. And if they don't like the members, you, you get the board you deserve is a classic saying. So you, you have to be involved in the selection and process and makeup of your board. And you'd be right in suggesting that most of the council who appointed me are no longer there, but the chair is. And um, he's been amazing. So he's been very, very supportive and wise counsel at different times. Um, and again, I, I work with him along the lines of the no surprises theory. He's in the loop on all the stuff that's going on. And as you know, there's some interesting things going on in school that can end up in the news and other bits and papers, pieces. Um, so, yeah, that, that's critical. I, I suggest you, you've got to be in a good relationship with the chair and you've got to be part of the appointment process. When it's in. Sorry, how does that look when you say keep him in the loop? How does that look for you and your relationship with? I can drop him a quick email or give him a quick phone call. Uh, and if need be, he lives not far from school and I can offer to drop around. I, he and I both enjoy AFL and um, I'm a member of uh, Port Adelaide. So we go to their lunches two or three times a year, which is a guest speaker. And a, he and I drive to get there, have lunch, chit-chat. So uh, that's really important in building that relationship. Now, we could just as easily go for a walk on the beach. Um, but it just so happens we enjoy listening to the... Kevin Sheedy's and others of the world that come and speak at those lunches. And we'll sit with other business people, usually, um, who are very amused that the principal at Sacred Heart goes to Port Adelaide footy lunches on a school day. <laughs> <laughs> I assure them I make up for those hours. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> so it, that relationship is critical, as is the, 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 the relationship with your finance committee. Um, no money, no mission. So you, you need really astute um, uh, people on your on your finance committee, but who get schools in the sense that resources are limited. You, you can't just generate funds out of nowhere. Again, being strategic, the five to ten year planning that needs to go on, and also setting a a, a clear um, clear priorities. I mean, everybody wants the latest. I mean, if you don't have a CNC machine in your school by now, you're something wrong with you. But you just run out and spend thirty grand. You go, oh, okay. Well, that's half a staff member for a year in learning support. Um, but oh, we will make nice key rings. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 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 doing that, and I think um, don't underestimate the, the tribal elders because they can often suggest people to you that you don't know who are very good on your council or finance committee because that's kind of the world they move in. 
it's really good too if you've got, um, as they say, some members who have skin in the game. So they're parents and accountants, you know, or they're somehow or other invested in the foundation so that they, they, they want outcomes and they're going to work and volunteer to do it because we don't pay them. So I, I get the best free financial advice uh, off a bunch of guys that would, I don't know, cost me thousands to pay an hour. <laughs> Steve, more broadly then, um, you know, you've talked about your experience with boards, you know, council chairs and the like. You've also talked about your experience in school. You've now been a principal for about 20 years. What do you now know that you didn't when you first started? The first thing I would suggest that I didn't know was finance. I just turned up and had my first audit and as the auditor walked me through uh, the, the figures, I, I said, I don't really know what you're saying. It's a foreign language. So that auditor, who also happened to be an old scholar, we call them old scholars in Adelaide because we're upmarket. Um, <laughs> you speak course. the Queen's English now. Queen's English. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's no convicts here. Um, so he then took me aside and said, look, come in. Um, I'll spend some time with you and I'll walk you through some fundamentals. And then uh, when I went back to St Michael's, the chair of the finance committee there was semi-retired. So he committed a lot of time to helping me as well. And on top of that, I did the company director's um, finance uh, packages and all of that was greatly assistant. And so you do, you do need to get your head across the business side of things. That's certainly something that's I've developed over the journey. I suggest that the importance of building relationships and keeping them as you move or they move. And sometimes it's just a, you, you go to a gathering, you can see them in the corner, even to go and have a quick chat and say, how are you going, blah, 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 blah. And at different times, then your network grows. At some point, you might want to give that person a call or you might want them on a panel or they've done a project and they've used people and you want to get the whole word of mouth village type uh, situation exists in Adelaide. Everybody knows everybody. And if you've got the best contacts, you can do amazing things for your school community. I think I uh, could have managed work-life balance a bit better at different times. Uh, when my kids were young, it's really hard when your kids are young because you're working ridiculous hours and, you know, you're taking your kids to things too. I always remember we used to take the kids uh, to uh, the cricket or the footy at St Peter's College in Adelaide, and when the game or the match was over, you used to take me now to find them. They go on wandering on the property somewhere, walking around. You're, Where are my kids? You know, anyone's seen three children? You know, um, but building that in was important too. Uh, now they got to see what I did, and but at the time it was difficult. I think you've got to have a a health regime of, of some description, uh, somewhere that, um, you know, you can you can just empty your head. So I've surfed all my life and now that I'm old and decrepit, I'm on a stand-up paddle surfer. So I get out there many mornings when it's on uh, before school. I find that invigorating and it also gives me think space. Sometimes if I get a, a good run of surf, I, everyone knows because I come back in with these new ideas. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, here he goes. Here we go again. Um, so I think all that's important. I, I think also, uh, yeah, there's that old saying about stopping and smelling the roses. It, it, it's, it's, you've got to build into your 
routines, particularly towards the end of the year, you sit back and reflect on the year or the years and go, well, what's been achieved here? Um, and there is a sense of pride in that and uh, not just on a personal level because the community appreciate it and the community will tell you that. And sometimes it's really simple stuff like we replaced the irrigation system on the ovals at Mitchell Park where our old scholars play footy. They played their preliminary final there last Saturday and couldn't believe that their old school actually has a decent footy ground. And, and they're so oh, – I'm getting all these emails. I'm getting more emails about the state of the grass, <laughs> which is really good because they bring their families and the, the generations turn up and they watch a game of footy on a Saturday afternoon. And, you know, old scholars sending me photos of how good is this and I'm going – yeah, great. Good on you. Well, I'm going to the formal, of course. Um, here with all the boarding families thinking, geez, I'd rather be at the footy than the formal. But anyway, yeah, so it, it is, there's a couple of things that I would I, I'd think about. I guess aside from the graph, Steve, uh, you've been involved in a number of uh, change projects and, and over your, your terms as principal. What do, you, what do you think would be the most proud aspect of, of your leadership over the years? Yeah, I, I think I... Some people have described me as a change junkie, by the way. Um, I'm not sure that's true. It's a nice phrase, though. You can use that. I'll let you. And the start of change junkie. Yeah. I think, I think the, uh, the things I take the, the greatest sort of pride in is when I've been able to lead and complete community-changing projects, taking the secondary campus at St Michael's co-ed, I think was a major step forward for the community, builds community, having the families being able to have their kids in the one place, and certainly amalgamating the three schools here has reinforced um, the community that's here and provided pathways that are much simpler for families. You know, think about it, three schools, three campuses, three uniforms, three book lists, and drive a family nuts. Um, whereas now it's one college, one uniform, blah, 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 and um, it's working very well. All right, just to round things out, I've got a couple of uh, quick hits before we uh, close off. Uh, so the first one, the last book you read. Last book I read. I read Paul Kelly's collection, uh, 100 Songs. I don't know if you know about that one. No. Okay. So he he writes 100 short stories on 100 of his songs. Right. And they're all two to three pages long, and it's fascinating. Sometimes he's just rambling. He might have been on something, but... Um, <laughs> Fascinating about his experience. It's just a really good read. Uh, last PD attended. Yeah, feedback with John Hattie. Right. And number one piece of advice. Keep smelling the roses. I like it. And uh, I've got one, just a uh, last one to throw in here, Steve. Uh, your favourite student leader of all time. Uh, college captain, 1997, St Michael's College, Luke Callier. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Good answer. Uh, well done. <laughs> uh, Steve, I'd really like to say thank you for uh, giving up your time today. I know I've really enjoyed listening to your wisdom and experience, uh, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to take away a lot from today. So uh, thank you for your time, mate. No worries, Luke. And if people do want to email me, steveburn at shc.sa.edu.au. And they can also find you on LinkedIn. They can find me on LinkedIn. Excellent. All right. That brings to an end our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our little uh, chat with Steve. Remember, if you haven't already, head over to our website, edleaders.com.au, and share the love about the podcast with uh, your colleagues. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next week.